Well, hello friends. Uh, welcome into this online space for a time of learning and exploration together. My name is Brad and I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And one morning uh, earlier this week, I went out on a run with my dog and we struck out on a trail that we've run many, many times, but suddenly the little clip of her leash broke and she's happily trotting along and I kind of lost her in the morning mist because actually it was more than a little mist. It was one of those really foggy mornings. And because the fog was so deep, suddenly a trail that seemed so familiar kind of felt suddenly to me like I didn't know where it was taking me. The fog was making it very hard to see. And suddenly I felt lost and disoriented. I tried slowing down, that didn't help. I tried speeding up, but I, I still felt like I didn't know where I was. And I came to what should have been a familiar juncture that I've run probably hundreds of times before. And yet I almost felt confused as to which way to go. I eventually found the dog, found my way back up the hill where the sun was now breaking through. But I was reminded again in this instance how fog has a very, very disorienting feel to it. And it's very easy to get lost in the fog, even in familiar terrain. And sometimes a journey into or out of faith can feel a little bit like that. Maybe you've had an experience where you read a scripture passage and you read it hundreds of times before and then one morning something about it unnerves you and you feel disoriented. Maybe you hear news about yet another Christian leader who's experienced moral failure and you begin to lose trust in those in spiritual authority. Maybe you grew up in a Christian bubble and then you transfer into a public school and you meet people whom you were always told were horrible sinners and going to hell, but they seem so nice and you begin to question things that seemed so clear to you before. See, this feeling and this place of being lost of being disillusioned, feeling like the way forward is unclear for you can be very, very disorienting. And so today we are starting into a mini teaching series on the topic of doubt. And we'll be exploring what doubt is, what it isn't, what to do with your doubts and how to walk with those who wrestle or who have questions. And I wanna just set your expectations in the right place as we begin. In a four week series of maybe 20 minute talks each, we are not going to solve everything for you about doubt. But I do hope that we can open up a conversation that you'll find constructive and maybe just maybe you'll be able to make your way forward a bit into the spaces and the places that maybe for you right now feel a little bit foggy. So I want to first say a word to uh, kids who are watching or some of you who are our younger viewers. And that is, you may not identify with all the things that we're going to be discussing in this series, but there is one thing that I want you not to miss. And that is that as you grow up in and around this community of faith, a Jericho Ridge is a safe place for you to ask dangerous questions. Nothing that you can bring to us is going to scare us or weird us out. No question that you can ask Pastor Jenna or Pastor Jason or any of us in leadership is going to make us love you any less. This is a community that can handle your deepest doubts and your hardest questions and your bring biggest feelings. And so I just want to invite you yet again, even if you're not in that space now, you have permission to bring your whole self into this 
community. Actually, that's true for you who are adults as well. Because if you find yourself either presently or at some time in your past or in the future in a place where the world seems foggy and you feel lost or disillusioned, I want you to know that you're not alone. If easy answers aren't working for you anymore, you are in good company with the doubters, the dreamers, and the seekers here at Jericho as we stumble forward together. And while everybody's journey with doubt is unique, there's also some common threads that we can trace out with respect to doubt when it comes, uh, where it comes from and what to do with it. And there's many valid reasons that we can enter into a season of doubt in our lives. You can be moving along just fine, and then life's experiences crack open a new what-if question in your mind. Sometimes doubt can be brought on by places of deep pain and loss. And we start to ask really hard questions about why God, if God exists, would let something like that happen to us or in the world. Sometimes doubt can be brought on by a very negative experience with religion. And people can get hurt by people or a toxic culture in a church. And or you begin to learn more about some of the harm caused by institutional decisions made throughout history, and it can really be a faith-shaking experience for you. Uh, another pathway into doubt is sometimes people begin to learn or explore more deeply in area of science or theology, and as they begin to read more broadly, questions get bigger and bigger and the weight of new discovery and its non-integration into their previous view of life becomes a real challenge. See, whatever pathway has brought you to the place where easy answers don't work anymore, the real question isn't so much what brought you here, but the real question is, what are you going to do about it now? Or if you're a compassionate bystander, you might be wondering, how do I help a friend or a family member who's in the process of deconstruction or who's experiencing doubt at such a deep and profound level, it feels they may never emerge from the fog they're in? And friends, we just need to again acknowledge these are hard questions. And I don't want you to expect that you'll emerge from our time together with the easy answers. But I do want to provide for us today a bit of a framework for what to do when we doubt. Because you're going to end up doing something with your doubt. And really, I'm, I want to suggest there's four basic choices you can make when you feel lost in the fog. First, is you can repress doubt. You can push it down to the deepest recesses of your mind and your soul. But that usually only works for a period of time until it comes back, and it usually comes back stronger and with reinforcement. So it's not really advisable. Second, some people in Christian communities demonize doubt. If you have any questions, they label that a sin. And they hold up certainty as the most noble way to be a Christian. And the challenge with that is that if you're the one living with questions, you end up feeling either explicitly or implicitly marginalized or ostracized from your community simply because you begin to wonder out loud about things that are not on brand for that particular community. Another response that can happen to people uh, is that they can idolize doubt and place it on a pedestal as the grandest of accomplishments. 
And there's currently uh, a massive cottage industry about the topic of deconstruction with accompanying books and podcasts and conferences and gurus and practices and pathways that you can walk to shred and shed all of the repressive practices of your youth and the naivete of your church of origin so that you too can look down your nose at others who have just not evolved as far or as fast as you on any given issue or spectrum. But I wanna suggest to you that there's another option. There's a fourth way to treat doubt that's proven healthier and quite frankly also harder down through the centuries. Instead of repressing or demonizing or idolizing it, what if you chose to embrace it? To actually make friends with your doubt? To treat it and yourself and others around you with gentleness and with respect and to live into your doubts as a place of possibility where you can meet God and others more deeply than you ever thought possible. So when I invite you to come with me on this journey of exploration where you come to see doubt not as an enemy or as a destination that you arrive at, but actually as a pathway of opportunity to choose deeper faith. Because I want to assure you that you're not the first person in history to have bigger, hard questions. Think about the stories of those in the scriptures who bumped up against doubt. People like Sarah, the matriarch in the book of Genesis. She receives a promise from God that she and Abraham are going to have a child in their old age. And her first response upon hearing the news was not wonderful, faith-filled receptivity. It was actually doubt. Well, it, it wasn't actually doubt. It was flat-out hysterical, disbelieving laughter. Or think about Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, whose wrestling match with God forms a kind of powerful invitation for you and me not to be content with a two-dimensional, flimsy, or distant deity. Or think about the writers of the Psalms. Here were people who knew how to cry out and express their hard questions to God. We often in evangelical subculture today love to read and sing the happy Psalms, but if you go back through it and read the Psalms, you'll see piles and piles of unanswered questions and groanings. And Pastor Wally's gonna walk us through Psalm 73 next week, and we're gonna see a sample of this kind of engagement. Or think about the prophets who wanted answers from God that they seemed not to get. Or in the New Testament, we have Paul who begs God to take away a painful limitation of some kind that he labels a thorn in the flesh. He repeatedly says, God, I, I want you to get rid of this. And God says politely but clearly, no, but I will give you my strength in your area and in your time of weakness. Or think about Peter a disciple who followed Jesus most closely, but also who denied him most loudly. Or Judas, whose story we're gonna explore more compassionately on Palm Sunday. Or Thomas, a person whose very name has become associated with doubt and whose story we're gonna to probe together on Easter Sunday. And what I want you to see clearly and hear clearly is that if you are experiencing doubt, you're actually in good company. Because the pages of history and the pages of the Bible are full of people like you with real hurts, real hangups, and very real 
and raw and honest questions. And part of this, friends, is just the nature of what it means to be human. Because doubt is a normal part of the life of faith. It's not a swear word. It's not something to be feared. Doubt can, in fact, be a healthy thing for us because it forces us to examine our lived convictions more carefully and more deeply. Now, we need to acknowledge, though, that doubt can feel scary because it feels a bit like you're walking into the fog. And I think it's helpful to acknowledge this is a part of what creates uh, the fear around doubt. Because doubt is actually a very real reality of our limitation and our limitations on knowledge. The early church leader Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, he says, now we see things imperfectly. They're like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then, meaning one day when we see God face to face, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. In other words, to not know everything or to have some lingering questions just means that you're human. You and I can possibly not know everything. And then the very real possibility exists that doubt is a normal part of the human condition. So hear me clearly about this. Doubt does not disqualify you from engaging with faith. Doubt is many things. It's disorienting. It can be painful. It can be emotionally hard to endure, but it can also be the doorway to a deeper and more beautiful faith because to doubt is simply to be human. In his excellent book entitled, When Faith Fails, writer and pastor Dominic Dunn uses the analogy of a marriage relationship. See, if I knew absolutely everything there was to know about my wife, Meg, there's a kind of stagnation that comes into a relationship. But if I don't know everything there is to know about her and I can maintain a posture of curiosity and wonder, then that's the doorway of invitation into deeper relationship. And see, the same thing is true with doubt. If we idolize certitude, thinking that we know everything there is to know about God, about theology, and about ourselves, then we actually kill the possibility of vibrant relationship. Dunn says in his book, mystery is the lifeblood of intimacy. And so allowing for mystery means that we are also allowing some wiggle room for doubt. So in order for us to understand the dynamic around doubt a little bit better, turn with me in your Bibles or turn on your devices to the book of Jude. Jude's a tiny letter tucked away at the back of the New Testament. And Jude mostly has negative things to say about weirdos who are working really hard to distort faithful Christian teaching. There's lots of warnings and cautionary notes in the book of Jude. And so you might think that when Jude comes to the topic of doubt, he's going to be very dour, give very stringent advice like nip it in the bud, make sure those people get right theology into their heads real quickly. But as he closes out his letter, after, yes, acknowledging there will be scoffers, divisive people who actually take deep delight in sowing doubt and divisions, and after saying, yep, there's going to be people who are subject to judgment for their actions, Jude says something powerfully unexpected about doubt, specifically how to engage with it and with people 
who are experiencing doubt. Look with me at Jude chapter 1, read in verse 20 and 21 in the New International Version. Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. It's a powerful statement packed into those two verses that even in places of doubt, we are still in a space where God's love and God's mercy are the primary orientation of the Trinity toward us. And so friends, if you're watching and you identify as a doubter or someone who's not yet a Christian and you remain unconvinced, know this, your hard questions do not put you out of the reach of the loving presence of God. I love what author Bob Goff says, doubt is not how faith ends, it is how deep trust begins. And so some of you might actually be in a place where your doubts are very strong and they're holding you back from moving to a place of relating to God until you get all of them answered. And can I let you in on a little secret? Your doubts may never go away. You may always live with a nagging sense of what ifs or a sense that you don't actually know for sure, even if other people around you seem to know for sure. And if that's you, friend, I wanna invite you to just keep walking out the journey. This is a journey of faith and sometimes the deeper we get into those places of relationship with God, the more we experience wonder and mystery and questions because faith is foundationally a relational journey with God, not a destination you arrive at where you have certitude about God. So I want you to take the next step on this Jesus journey with me and with us here at Jericho Ridge. Sometimes we use the language of inviting Jesus into your life, but today I want to flip that and invite you to consider responding to Jesus' invitation to become part of his life and his family. And so if you want to say yes to that invitation, I want you to email prayer at jerichoridge.com or if you're watching on our Church on Live interactive platform, I want you to respond to the invitation to raise your hand that's coming up on the screen now. Don't wait, friend, until you have all of your questions answered. Start walking that road of relationship with God and with other people today. Well, speaking of other people, let me speak for a moment to those who are not currently in a season of disillusionment. And what I want to say to you is that our core response to those who have questions matters a great deal. When a friend comes to you and says something like, I'm not sure that I believe God exists, or I can't get past the violence in the Old Testament, it's shaking my view of who God is, or the more my professor talks about scientific naturalism, the more I'm drawn toward that. You have a choice as to how you respond. Be thoughtful, be intelligent, but above all, Jude reminds us that our primary calling in those moments is to be merciful. See, what I find happening in in myself in those moments is I wanna back the dump truck up and give my doubting friend or family member all the things that I found helpful in my faith journey. But can I gently admonish you to try hard not to make this about you? 
they may not need more information, apologetics, or books suddenly appearing at their doorstep. What they might need most from you and from us might just be mercy. And mercy just doesn't mean giving somebody a soft hug. It can also mean speaking truth into the lives of those who are actively pursuing a kind of doubt that is self-destructive. But even there, friends, mercy needs to triumph over an attitude of self-righteousness or judgment. So let me pause here for a moment and make a distinction that I think we need to talk about. And that is a distinction between two categories. And that is a category of doubt and the category of unbelief. Because the New Testament uses very different words for those experiences. But sometimes we flatten the distinction and use the word doubt to describe both things. But they're actually two very different postures or orientations. So let me give you an example of this. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, we have an image that's used of a tumultuous sea and waves tossing to and fro. And the text says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So in this situation, the word doubt here means to be unsure, to be of two minds about something, to be wavering between options. And when we're unsure, about something. We haven't landed in a place of unbelief. We're still in a place of doubt. And so the admonition of this text is to invitationally pursue something more deeply. And that's why Jesus, when he meets people who are exploring but unsure, says things like, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. Or he praises an aspirational sense of faith in those who are not certain, but who are seeking. Because being of two minds about something is not an uncommon state. You might be sure one day what new phone to buy or what to do for spring break. And when we find ourselves unsure, we usually need to press into that decision and information to get a deeper sense of clarity. But being unsure or doubting is different than having a heart that is hardened by unbelief. Here I think about the story of the man whose son in Mark chapter 9 was oppressed by a demonic force. And in Mark 9, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I don't even know where to turn. I need your help. And Jesus doesn't say to him, mm, let me just stick the belief meter into your soul and get a reading here. Jesus simply invites the man into a deeper place of exploration of Jesus' capacity to meet the need of his son for healing and freedom. And Jesus says, I can do that. What is it that you want? And the man cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's a powerful phrase. And friends, that might describe you today. Doubt in your life may have gotten to a place where you're actually stalled out. 
And your takeaway from today might be that you actually need to lean in, to keep asking questions about the Bible, about science, about God being silent. But your journey, however, needs to be not just an intellectual one, but you need to lean in with all of you, your questions, your emotions, your heart, and your head. Because in another part of his book, Don says, courageously confronting our doubts is how we grow. And so as you grow, as you learn, and as you press in, it might also be time for you to admit that some of your doubt may be a protection mechanism for not wanting to make a change that God is inviting you into. And it might be, at some point, time to let that doubt go. There's a marvelous line in the movie Life of Pi where he says, quote, doubt is useful for a while, but we must move on. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is akin to choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Some forms of doubt, friend, are unhelpful and need to gently be left behind. And I love that one of the most powerful stories of doubt that I've ever read is not the books of the New Atheist, but actually the journals of Mother Teresa. Here's a wonderful woman of faith who still wrestles with incredible and intense doubt. She writes at one point, I am devoured by doubt. And yet she continues to press into service and loving others and deep places of seeking justice and hope in the world. Let's go back to our fog analogy as we wrap up our teaching time today. If you or a family member is in a season of disorientation or doubt, I want you to mercifully do some digging to see what lies beneath the fog. Sometimes under a bunch of tweets and podcasts about deconstruction is actually a hurt and wounded person who has a legitimate question that never got answered. And their expression of doubt was demonized or weaponized against them to the point that they walked away from faith. And that might be you, friend. And if that is, I want to say how deeply sorry I am that you had that kind of experience with Christian community. I may not have been part of it, but I want to own that and apologize for it. In an effort to hold up truth, we as Christians can very often get the mercy part wrong. And for the wounds that are real and the isolation that you have felt, I'm I'm very sorry. And I hope that you can find a place in your heart to journey with us and to lean into your questions in a healthy and healing way. Your past or your present doubts and the pain that they have caused do not disqualify you from participation in the life of faith here at Jericho Ridge. Well, friends, there is much more that needs to be said about this topic, and we're going to come to some of that in the coming weeks. But I want us to just pause for a moment, and I want to actually ask and invite God to speak to you, wherever you are, whatever spiritual state you find yourself in. I'm going to ask you two questions. The first is this, what is God inviting you to embrace? And the second question is, what is God inviting you to leave behind? Perhaps the invitation from God this morning for you is to leave behind cynicism or that past 
hurt. Perhaps your invitation is to reach out to a friend or a family member whom you've wounded in the past by your lack of mercy and to own it, to apologize and say, I'm so sorry, I came on strong and I think I ruptured the relationship. Sit with that question for a few minutes, friends, as we move into a time of worship response. What is it that God is inviting me to embrace? What is it that God is inviting me to leave behind? You may want to journal about that. You may want to share it with a friend, a trusted confidant. And we here at Jericho have a practice of responding to what we hear, not by just sitting back passively, but by adding our voices into the conversation in what's going on. And so I invite you to email me, brads at jerichoridge.com. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what you've heard. And I also invite you to add your voice to the conversation in song. Sometimes the songs that we sing are about God and about God's work in our lives and in the world, but sometimes those songs are actually very personal and they're about us. And so the words to this next song that we're gonna sing might resonate deeply with you. If you're in a season of doubt, you might feel caught or trapped. And the one thing that I want you to hear as you sing it out even if perhaps you don't yet fully believe it, is that you are loved despite the struggles of your faith. So as we enter into this time, I invite you to respond as God leads you, and let's sing together.